This week on Geek Explained, with the fate of the X-Men roster in the hands of comic book fans around the world, we're building our perfect X-Men team with special guest and resident Krakoan expert, Doug Smith. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all about the X-Men. Uh, if you aren't aware, some crazy things are going on with the X-Books right now. We are smack dab, uh, full on knee deep in the Jonathan Hickman X-Men Krakoan era. That is a mouthful if I've ever heard one. And this is kind of an exciting time for the X-Men. The X-Men are making, or really, uh, Krakoa is making their first X-Men of the Jonathan Hickman era, and they are basically asking comic book fans to choose uh, their final member. But in this episode, we're going a step further and pitching the entire team. And to do this, I am being joined by a very special guest, a comic tuber on the rise, Doug Smith from the For Every Kind of Geek YouTube channel. We had a great conversation that I cannot wait to share with you. We also have our latest weekly review on the newest episode of Wanda division and boy is it a doozy and of course this week's comics countdown but before we get into all of that let's check in with this week's news All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. We are going to kick things off with miscellaneous news, two pieces of miscellaneous news. Uh, first off, some exciting news. Uh, you thought that Jeffrey Wright was only going to be Commissioner Gordon. You thought wrong, because apparently they are developing a podcast series called Batman the Audio Adventures, which is being helmed by someone uh, behind SNL, and it's supposed to be i i guess more of a comedic uh take on batman maybe in the same vein as an adam west i don't know um but they have announced that jeffrey wright will be playing batman in uh in this audio drama so that's really exciting i love me some jeffrey wright you know i love me some batman so this sounds like a fun time uh in less exciting news uh we found out this past week that roger craig smith who has been the voice of sonic the hedgehog for the past 10 years um is no longer doing that uh he's no longer going to be the voice of sonic the hedgehog this comes hot off the heels of an announcement that we are getting a new uh sonic show on i believe netflix called sonic prime that was announced recently and um it's weird it's a very weird situation um even though Sega is kind of taking the route that he stepped down from the role, uh, Roger has been uh, essentially kind of saying that it, it may not have been a mutual decision, but that he is very grateful for the time that he's had. Um, who knows? There is no 
there's really nothing to speculate on. We don't know what the drama is, uh, or if there even is any drama, but we do know that when this new Sonic show kicks off, uh, there will be a new, uh, new voice actor in the role. So, um, this doesn't mean anything for, uh, Roger's career, Roger Lee's we're on a first name basis, um, for his career as a whole, he's still got tons of stuff. He's an incredible voice actor, um, who I would love to work with one day, but, um, he's got lots of stuff in the pipe, so he's going to be just fine. Uh, moving on to some film news. We finally have a release date for the Snyder cut. This is probably the big news of, uh, the past week, which is, uh, that the Snyder cut in all four hours of, in all its four-hour glory is going to be coming to HBO Max on March 18th. And this is a wonderful time for me to announce that we are doing a Snyder Cut series for the podcast. I've been working on this for a while. Um, this, uh, this Geeksplain Extra series is going to be dropping every single Sunday from now until... Um, pretty much the uh the release so starting on this sunday the 7th of february as of this recording i'll be dropping two episodes per week for each of the snyder verse uh films kicking things off with man of steel and batman v superman this weekend keep your ears open for that they will be joining the feed every single sunday so make sure you are tuning in for this i'm being joined by two incredible creative minds uh each from podcasts of their own, Chris Carter from the Scripts and Screams podcast, as well as Andrew Kincaid from the Artistic Liberties podcast. Uh, if you remember, we did a full-on uh, Geek Explained Extra series with Chris for uh, the Watchmen HBO show, and we have had Andrew on more than a handful of times. He's a fantastic creative mind, and boy, oh boy, does he have a lot to say about the Snyderverse films. So, uh, really excited about this. Uh, this has been in the pipeline for a little while now, so I am super excited to uh, share that with you all uh, starting this Sunday. So mark your calendars. We're kicking things off with Man of Steel and uh, Batman v Superman this Sunday. So keep your eye on the feed for that. In other film news, we got our first trailer for Raya and the Last Dragon. And oh my God, it looks amazing. I just, oh my God, I love it. I could spend like this entire podcast just talking about it. I won't, but I could. Um, it looks fantastic. And I cannot wait to see this film. Uh, and finally in film news, we have some set photos that were leaked from the set of Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, some very interesting sets of uh, photos. First off, we've got some photos that are leaning towards the reveal of Tooth Grinder and Tooth Nasher, two of my favorite Thor characters. Uh, they're basically his goats. Um, Thor has goats. That's right. I love them so much. Um, they're basically like shots of him with either like animatronics or dummies that are going to be setting up probably CGI, but uh, looks great. We also see a, uh, a very uh, Thunderstrike-looking costume for Chris Hemsworth, who now is rocking some long hair once again. Um, kind of, it looks like the same kind of uh, hair that he was rocking at the end of uh, Endgame. Uh, so he looks great. He's also uh, been seen with Chris Pratt, as well as um, 
both, I believe, Sean Gunn and Karen Gillan in their respective roles of uh, Kraglin and Nebula for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So there will be some Guardians of the Galaxy involvement on this, which is exciting. I love the dynamic between Thor and Peter Quill. Should be fantastic. Can't wait to see that. Um, but it's looking interesting, and he looks slimmed down again. So uh, should be a fun time. Uh, jumping into TV news. We've got three pieces of TV news for you. First off, we have uh, an announcement this past week that uh, Ryan Coogler, who directed uh, the first Black Panther movie, is working on a World of Wakanda series that is going to be coming to Disney Plus in the near future. I, this is part of a five-year deal with uh, Coogler's production company. Um, this is exciting. It's a great way for us to explore more of Wakanda. The ideas, the iconography the people the culture it's it's going to be fantastic i'm really excited about this we also got an announcement from netflix another streaming service that they have uh, basically they are working on a sandman ab- adaptation i know at this point who isn't but uh they announced uh some of their cast kind of their heavy hitters for the cast uh first off in the role of dream the lord of dreaming also known as morpheus uh, Sandman, whatever, you, the eponymous Sandman. Uh, we have Tom Sturridge. I'm not super familiar with Tom Sturridge. Um, let's see here. Uh, he's been in things called The Velvet Buzzsaw and Sweet Biter. I have no idea. But uh, he looks the part, so should be good. The one that I'm really excited about is Lucifer, uh, being played by Gwendolyn Christie. Love me some Gwendolyn Christie, and I I love this. I absolutely love this. This is fantastic casting. Uh, we also have uh, Vivian. Oh, shit. I'm I'm going to butcher this last name. I'm so sorry. Uh, we have Vivian Achimpong. God, I'm sorry. Uh, in the role of Lucien. Um, basically, it looks like they're going to be uh, gender bending the character from a uh, male character to a female character. So instead of Lucien, it's Lucienne. Um, kind of uh, basically Morpheus's like head librarian assistant guy um, or gal now. Uh, we also have uh, Boyd Holbrook as the Corinthian. Uh, Boyd Holbrook was, um, oh God, he was uh, Donald Pierce in Logan. He's a great actor. I'm really excited to see what he brings to this role. Uh, We have Charles Dance as Roderick Burgess. Roderick Burgess is um, the uh, founder of the Order of Ancient Mysteries. He's a fantastic character, and I love me some Charles Dance. Uh, And then finally, uh, from the announcement, we've seen uh, Sanjeev Bhaskar and Asim Chaudhry. I'm sorry if I butchered those. uh, Are playing Cain and Abel. You know who Cain and Abel are. Uh, So this is really interesting. This is a star-studded cast. So I'm very, very excited about seeing what exactly they're going to bring to this. Um, And then we also got another casting announcement for Titans. You remember last week we talked about um, Batgirl, or I guess Oracle, Barbara Gordon, being played by Savannah Welch. Um, This week they announced the casting of Tim Drake. He's going to be played by rising star Jay Lycurgo, who uh, also has a role in The Batman as one of the thugs that we see uh, Robert Pattinson absolutely bodying in the uh, in the first trailer. So quite the uh, quite the trajectory for uh, Mr. Lycurgo going from a uh, street kid into Robin. Almost a Jason Todd way, but no, we already have a Jason Todd in Titans. Um 
I really want to be excited about this because you know how much I love Tim Drake. He's the best Robin. But um, I don't know, man. With Titans, I just don't know what to feel. Um, This is very steadily becoming a Bat Family show, which if that's what they wanted to make, they should have just made that. They already have too many characters as it is that they don't know what to do with. Uh, Beast Boy is a non-character at this point and just i feel like adding all of these new characters is going to just push characters like beast boy all the way to the back but what can you do uh just hope for the best i know the uh the costume is going to be kick-ass so i can't wait to see that and then wrapping things up here with the uh comics news of the week which does tie into our main event uh marvel announced the hashtag x-men vote campaign where you as a comic book fan will get to vote on the final member of the Brand spanking new X-Men team for the Krakoan era. And to talk more about that, we're going to roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, of this episode, which is building our perfect X-Men teams with special guest Doug Smith from the For Every Kind of Geek YouTube channel. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for our main event, which I was looking back through the archives of the podcast, and this is our, I think it's our third ever X-Men episode, which is crazy to me, because we're already in triple digits, but... We are talking about building our perfect, our favorite, our ideal X-Men teams. And to build this team, if we're talking about Hickman X-Men, I had to bring in a personal friend and expert in the field, if you'll allow the pun, uh, Doug Smith from the For Every Kind of Geek YouTube channel. Doug, how are you? Hi, I'm great, thank you. Uh, it's amazing. I This is actually the first podcast I've ever been on, so I hope I do you proud. Yes, fantastic. All right, we, we got Doug's first one. I'm I'm very excited about that. Uh, so, Doug, let me let me ask you real quick before we get into kind of our team buildings and our all the stuff going on. Uh, what is your experience with the X Men? How were you introduced to the X Men? Uh, it's, it's really funny. I have sort of, uh, a series of introductions that I've had over the years because I've, I've dipped in and out on X-Men. Uh, I think the first time that I ever came across them was in one of those huge, like bound Barnes and Noble collections. I think they called Mm. them Marvel Masterworks with like the silvery cover. Yes. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was... I think that was the start of the Claremont era. Um, it was the second gen team with um, pretty much like the the one cast that everybody knows. Um, and I, I mean, right after that, I was born in uh, in the mid '90s, so I caught the the very tail end of the X Men cartoon. And uh, since then, I've sort of like come back to it um, almost like once an era. Every time they reboot, I always sort of boomerang back. 
Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's so funny that you say that. Cause I feel like ever since, um, I would say probably, yeah, that like that mid nineties era, the X-Men have kind of been in the cyclical pace. They've been in this, like a big event will happen. It'll be a new status quo shift. Things will go f- really well for a little while. Then they'll kind of dip. And then all of a sudden we're back to the, f- back to the beginning again. There's a big event where we get a new status quo over and over and over. It's kind of like the cyclical nature of comics, but the X-Men, I think because they always have such a huge magnifying glass on them, they, it's more noticeable to me um and i think there has been no bigger kind of uh resetting the board in the last like 10 20 years than what jonathan hickman is doing with the x-men right now and doug actually for those of you who aren't aware um i mentioned it before he has an amazing youtube channel go check that out i'll put the link in the description for this um one of his i I think his most recent video right now is an introspective look a great primer on the jonathan hicks on the jonathan hickman x-men era that is a mouthful um and it is a wonderful wonderful video if you haven't checked it out yet please go do that um how do you feel about the hickman era so far and kind of how it measures up to previous x-men eras uh it's very tough to say right because it's it's the first time that all of the x titles have sort of been i want to say cohesively rebranded at that scale under like oh, one creative point. vision because um I mean, the thing that I covered was uh, Hawkspox, House of X and Powers of Ten. But mm-hmm. um, it's it's funny because right after that, Hickman basically took the entire line of pretty much every X-Men book and then said, OK, we're scrapping this. We're starting from scratch. And all of this is going to build into like one big master story, which I I personally see as a, a new chapter in what I call the X-Men's war for survival. Like for the longest time, I imagined um, days of future past as the end point for the X-Men. It's the one thing that no matter what they go through, they want to prevent because it's the end. Um, And um, obviously Hawkspox did something major in that saying like this future is in fact very pliable. They can't just, or rather, they, they won't just um, act against it. They can completely reshape it. Um, and I guess uh, what followed, the the dawn of X, I think is what Hickman and the other creatives call it, is sort of how this new world settles now that they've... Uh, now that they've potentially changed this big, immutable future. Yeah, and... Honestly, like I kind of always felt the same way when it came to because I I am also a child of the 90s. And so I always saw um, Days of Future Past as just being this like unstoppable endpoint. Like at some point we are going to go there. And that was why every time that we kind of deviated from that path, I always got really excited because I was like, okay, cool. We're going to we're going to, you know, jump into uncharted waters here. And for those of you who aren't following the Hickman X-Men books, um, 
Hoxpox kind of revealed that Moira McTaggart, who is this longtime uh, X-Men ally, love of Charles Xavier, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is in fact a mutant who has gone through, I think at this point, it it's it's her tenth lifetime now, right? Yeah, it's a little bit murky. They they kind yeah. of like intentionally muddy the waters and say, well, she might have lived like nine, she might be on her tenth one. Uh, but I think there's there's a point that they specifically cite out and it's she can only live i think something like 11 lives mm-hmm. so i like regardless of where she is she's nearing the end of that cycle and um obviously like that's huge because she's the the one who kicked this entire era of prosperity off so if she's suddenly say taken off the board uh everything that's been going on might change in a very big way. And I think that's, um, that's like one of the reasons why um, across all of the X books, I have read all of these just to verify, we haven't seen (laughs) an awful lot of her. Yeah. That, that was something that I clocked immediately when they were doing the first big rollout of Dawn of X and, Everyone was like, oh, this character's in this book, this character's in this book. Um, Charles and Magneto, who were kind of like with Moira, you know, the big three, were everywhere, popping up in all these different X-Books. And Moira, I mean... I think if I remember correctly in uh, in Hoxpox, they have like a big map of Krakoa and there is like a like a quiet space, like a, a, a zero space where it's just Moira's place and the no space. Yes, the no space. And like she's just kind of been there and like we see like glimpses of her in her spot, but we don't know like why she's there, what's going on. I can only assume that they want her in this like um and this might just be the pandemic brain uh, going, but like they want her in this just kind of like safety bubble so that what they're working on, like, because once she dies, she resets the board. And so they're trying to like preserve this one because they might think like, oh, we finally got it right. Um, but the thing that was kind of interesting about this whole era and really, I mean, what we're here today to talk about was the... N- island nation of Krakoa they basically took all of the mutants from or at least a vast majority of them from all around the world put them on one place which felt for anyone who read the Grant Morrison X-Men made me incredibly nervous immediately we all know we all remember Genosha um and they basically kind of said, okay, we're going to have all of these teams, but the X-Men as a like superhero mutant rebellion team are no more. We don't have like a strict X-Men squad. And after the most recent event in the X-Books, which was X of Swords, Ten of Swords, um, I've heard it described as 12 different names, um... Basically, the fallout from that was that Cyclops and Jean Grey have decided we are going to make a new X-Men team. Now, I'm going to I've been saying it every week of the podcast and I'm going to continue to say it here. I still have not caught up on uh, Ten of Swords. I got the like complete Kindle edition that was supposed to be just on Comixology. It was supposed to actually uh, be released 
I think two and a half weeks ago, but it, then it got pushed back to uh, February 17th, and now it's been pushed back to March 1st, so it is, it's going to be a while until I know exactly what happened here, but... Um, I'm, I'm right in the same boat with you. I've read the whole thing over and over again because I want to make a video on it, and I still right. can't process what <laughs> it actually is. Well, and I was, I was basically, cause I, when it was all ramping up and they like kicked off the whole event, I was, I remember talking to, um, to, uh, Malcolm, shout out to Malcolm. He's awesome. He's been on the podcast a few times before about like, what is, what is the deal with this? Am I, should I like, cause this is going to be like 23 parts. Should I like dive in this? He's like, it's Mortal Kombat with X-Men. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm really interested, but I just, I can't. I can't follow all of this, so I'm going to wait. Um, and now I feel like, because I'm caught up on the uh, on the mainline X-Men book. I just read X-Men uh, 17 from last week, uh, which was, at least for me, a big tonal shift when it came to the art. Um, yeah, definitely. I know. I, I I saw you. I saw you talking about it on Twitter a little bit. I have I have mixed feelings on Brett Booth as an artist. I respect the hell out of what he does. Um, it felt like a very, it felt like a left turn for me. How did you feel about this most recent issue? Oh yeah, definitely. I think, um, I mean, it's, it's definitely worth pointing out because Brett Booth is kind of a polarizing figure, but, uh, I mean, across all of the books, they've had sort of these weird, uh, shifts in art. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm blanking on, on the other thing. I think Marauders changed up their their art team uh not too long ago and i it has me wondering because uh, like is this just sort of the cyclical thing are there are the artists finishing up their contract and moving on or is this sort of like a larger symbolic thing where Mm -hmm. it's signifying like a bigger tonal shift i don't know and and that's that's really because i i didn't put nearly the amount of thought into that that you did because, I mean, the, the first kind of domino, at least for me, that I remember is um, Lanil Francis Yu kind of stepping down from the mainline X-Men book because he's not really doing a whole lot of, like, interiors anymore. It's mostly just uh, covers. But then I... I I was a big, I'm a big fan of Mahmoud Asrar, and he took over the book for a couple of issues, including the issue that they announced, like, oh, we're going to have an X-Men election. Um, So I was kind of hoping he was going to stick around on that, and then they had Brett Booth come in, so I, it's, that's an interesting point. I will say I I loved the callback to the uh, X-Factor costumes, but but um it's it's fascinating to me and i think that that is an interesting point and that's something that we're gonna have to keep an eye on with a like this tonal shift coming because i think um because the next i guess chapter of this is reign of x right yes that's i think that's like the the next big blanket term that they have uh, every every phase to this has had its own name right we've mm-hmm. had house of x and powers of 10 then we've had the dawn of x and then uh this is supposedly like the the big era when the x-men finally have like a fighting chance they've beaten arako which is like their big rival and now mm-hmm. i guess we're well, gonna spoiler. see oh yeah sorry <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. i mean wolverine's still there so we have to know they're they're doing something 
Yeah, um, and and so I I think to con- continue your point, I think we're going to be entering that reign of X period now, where they're going to be in their kind of height, the prosperity, which we know for the X Men at least does not last very long. Yeah, but. Um, <laughs> The main thing coming out of uh, Ten of Swords was that they wanted to rebuild the X-Men and rather than have, you know, Charles or Cyclops um, or Gene really, you know, build this team as they have in the past, they decided we are going to let the citizens of Krakoa vote. They are going to make their own uh, X-Men team elected by the mutants for the mutants. And that kind of got me thinking you know, how would I build my X-Men team coming out of all this? And so I wanted to get Doug on board because, like I said, he is our resident Hickman expert. Uh, and that's an X with just the, the big X. Um, yeah, you can't see and... me, but I did the thing that Cyclops did in that photo. Yes! <laughs> the X with the hands. Um, yes, the X, the X with the, the fists. Um and it, and we we are building our own X teams in this episode, um, and this is kind of born out of the campaign that's been going on over the past week, the hashtag X Men Vote that's been going on. Uh, Marvel in one of their uh, in an inspired uh, decision really decided that they were going to leave the final spot of this new X-Men team up to comic book fans who wanted to put in a vote. They had some candidates here and the, uh, the little press release for the page. If you go to, uh, marvel.com slash characters slash X-Men vote, um, you'll see, it says participate in the annual election of your protectors of Krakoa. I am just reading that. And that, Sounds really interesting to me. The annual election. So they might make this a yearly thing, which would be really cool. Yeah. But um, it says in 2021, Mutant Kind will be selecting the first X-Men team of the Krakoan age. And you are invited to take part in the election. Marvel's fan vote will be 100% responsible for the determination of the final member of this inaugural team. So choose wisely. Voting uh, opened up on January 27th and it closes on February 2nd at midnight. Now, as we're recording this, the polling is still open. You can still cast your vote. But by the time that this episode goes live, um, the election will be over. But um, I just wanted to go over real quick the candidates here because we had 10 candidates who were part of this vote. You had a chance to vote for one member of this group. We had uh, Armor, Banshee, Boom Boom, Cannonball, Forge, Marrow, Polaris, Strong Guy, Sunspot, and Tempo. Now, Doug, who did you vote for in this group? Oh, man. All of these were really great candidates just because I we have no idea what the rest of the team would look like. Uh, but... Just going off of what we've seen before, I voted Tempo. One, nice. because her power, like, manipulating time is really cool on its own. But also, uh, I saw the one appearance she got was basically uh, artificially <laughs> aging Shaw, whiskey right? for Shaw. And, yeah. like, anyone who has what to deal with Shaw on a regular basis deserves a spot on the X-Men as far away from him <laughs> as humanly possible. Agreed. That that was something I will say I loved about the recent uh, Marauders issues was he finally got a comeuppance. 
And I really enjoyed just how um, kind of deliciously evil it was when... Uh, oh, what a moment. <laughs> yeah. So, so cool. Um, tempo was very high on my list. I... I had to kind of look at this list and they're, I mean, they're all fantastic candidates and you make an excellent point that we don't know what the rest of the team is going to look like. So it is hard to kind of make that decision when you don't know what the rest of the team makeup is going to be. Um, I ended up voting for Boom Boom. I am a huge Tabitha man. I... I have always loved Boom Boom's character. I just think she is so fun. Her She's basically a punk rock Jubilee, and I adore Jubilee as a character. Um, and I've always just, I've always, it kind of came down to me for um, Boom Boom or Armor, because I love both of those characters. Tempo was a very close third spot. The thing that bothered me about this list was they wanted us to pick one member, and they put both Cannonball and Sunspot on this list. Yeah. And, yeah, and immediately I'm like, well, I can't choose either of them because they have to stick together. They have to. <laughs> They're a package deal. They are. Um, but they've got fantastic um, choices on here and some really interesting choices that I don't think would be uh, first on the list for many people. Forge, I was kind of surprised to see on this list. Marrow, to be honest, as well. But um, Tempo is Tempo's an awesome character. And I, I agree, her whole time manipulation um that is a clutch power mm -hmm. so oh, i mean uh, especially uh given everything that we've experienced with hawkspox you'd think they'd want someone oh, yeah. on a team outside of this like in case something goes wrong they should be prepared for the worst that is a good point and i would be interested to know how that would kind of work like say moira gets killed and they use tempo to rewind her does that still count is she still in the next life or that might be something that we have to see about later on down the line but as we have talked about you know kind of what spurred on this episode really the uh the big campaign that's going on, we're going to dive right into our X-Men, uh, our X-Men teams. Now, each of us has, I believe you said, we, we each have seven members that we came up with for this team. And this was tough. Um, may, just making any team is really difficult, but like making a team that you would love to be reading month to month, um, that would also be able to fit in kind of seamlessly with the, uh, assumed trajectory of the Hickman era was really difficult for me. How difficult was building your team for you? Oh, it was incredibly difficult, um, especially because when you look at, I guess, the scope of characters in the X-Men, uh, it's never-ending. It's massive. And, I mean, if you, if you think there's one character that you absolutely love, there are going to be, you know, five more standing behind them. <laughs> Um, but I think that's also very freeing because, I mean, you can kind of endlessly mix and match and regardless of who you pick, there's going to be uh, an interesting kind of chemistry that happens between the team. Absolutely agree. And what is really great about this is that, you know, you've got with, I think it's two exceptions, you've got your pick of the litter for literally any mutant that has ever walked the face of the earth thanks to the five and thanks to them being able to resurrect mutants at any time. So 
you had an abundance of choices. Um, I am going to turn over the table table to you since you are our guest. Uh, you can let me know what was your first pick for your team, and did you have any kind of um, uh, objective or any kind of direction where you wanted to take your team? Oh, I absolutely had one. Um, just going off of the the sort of thesis that Cyclops presented, I wanted to to build a team of outsiders, specifically outsiders in Krakoan society, Love because uh, a larger theme of Dawn of X has been this new world's been built. Um, and for the first time, mutants are encouraged to look for their place inside this bigger society, this um, sort of like massive collective where everyone has value and everyone has like a specific function. Um, but we've seen across these series like um, Fallen Angels and uh, X-Force especially, there are these outliers who don't really know where they stand and uh, they're looking for, I guess, either the right mentor or the right team to really find their place in this in this new world. And um, I guess uh, the one that I really gravitated towards first was the leader of this group, who was Storm. Um, Storm's nice. kind of shown up across like a handful of of the x books but she's never really had uh, a fairly strong presence and i find that very interesting because storm has been a mainstay i mean since she was introduced she led the team for a while after cyclops stepped down and um since then she's kind of been this uh third pillar whereas mm -hmm. you have um Obviously, you have the, the two, I guess, ends of the spectrum for leadership. You have Cyclops, who's kind of like the, the tactical thinker. And then you have Wolverine, who just solves problems by punching them. <laughs> and uh, I feel like Storm is a nice middle ground between that. She's, she's definitely a person who wants to bring out the best in people, but she's also extremely pragmatic. She's seen kind of both sides of the world, and she... In the end, she sort of has the strength to to do whatever it takes to get the results. Nice. Yeah. I, and honestly, I mean, Storm is a character who always kind of anytime she shows up in an X book, she feels like a big deal. Like she has that presence about her. She has that almost like regalness about her, which I mean, she's she is basically royalty and she was technically wakandan royalty as well for a little bit there before her uh, her whole marriage with t'challa got annulled yeah um, it's i mean it's very interesting that you bring that up too because this this is actually why i read i reread ten of swords because like part of the fallout of that is she finally breaks ties with wakanda she has to mm -hmm. retrieve a sword from that and i think like that that's an especially important moment for her because it's the moment when she fully devotes herself to this mutant society. Right. Like she, she's finally realized that this, this is my real home and I'm going to do whatever I can to help it. And, um, I, I think it's very interesting because we've only seen that kind of commitment to Krakoa, that raw idealism a handful of times. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you don't want to you don't want to keep 
those instances separate. You want an X-Men team that really pushes itself to the brink to, to help all of mutant kind that way. Nice. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, storm was almost one. I almost put storm on my team as well, but I, uh, I love when she pops up in the Marauders book and I didn't want to take it away from that. So like I, I pretty much when I was building my team, I kind of, I left the Marauders book alone. Anyone that pops up there, I'm like, you are staying right where you are because I love what you're doing in this book. Um, but I kind of came to, uh, came to my leader in the same way. And each, each of my, uh, each of my members has like a title. I came up with just like a little title, like the leader, uh, the second in command, so on and so forth. Um, but I'm, I am a classic basic boy. So I have Cyclops as my leader. Of oh, the X-Men. solid choice. Cyclops, AKA Scott Summers. He's got the, uh, the optic blasts. He is, he is the quintessential leader of the X-Men and, Cyclops has been through quite a lot recently, <laughs> pretty much um, ever since uh, Avengers vs. X-Men. He has been on, at least for me, uh, storytelling and narrative-wise, been on this upward trajectory when he was um, essentially our Magneto stand-in during the... Uh, I, I keep calling it the Bacalo, uh X-Men book, but it was Jason Aaron. It was Aaron and Bacalo. Um and kind of all the way through stuff like um, Inhumans versus X-Men, through the uh, Matthew Rosenberg Uncanny X-Men when he came back, all of that stuff. And when he was kind of put back into center stage during uh, Hawks Pox, and I got to say, the, the issue where they actually go up to try and destroy the Mother Mold is one of my favorite like X-Men issues of all time. I love everything about that little um, Mass Effect 2 suicide mission. Mm-hmm. And I, I've i just been a huge, huge Cyclops mark for my entire life. And I think he's in a unique position right now where he is, you know, essentially... I, I don't remember exactly if he gave up his, like, captain of the guard general position or not. But him and uh, Gene were offered seats on the quiet council kind of the for those of you who aren't following the books um basically the governing body of krakoa and i love i love the issue actually i think it was issue 15 of x-men where cyclops is basically like hey i got a message from my son he is in trouble i am going to go pick him up and everyone's like uh no no you don't get to go do that he's like okay i am going to go do that thank you for (laughs) thank you for your input um and I love that about Cyclops, is he is one of those characters, like a Captain America, like a Superman, you see I have a type, um, who is willing to toe the line to a certain extent until he feels that there is either a better way or a way that makes more um, tactical or logical sense to him. And I love that kind of, I love that aspect about him, is that he is able to be a stoic, you know, um, rock for an entire team until he decides not to be and that kind of uh that kind of storytelling is really fun for me and having cyclops 
as kind of a classic team leader in the same vein as Storm, who has led the X-Men as well, I think gives us a good basis and a good um, a good guiding hand for the team going forward. So I really like our, our leader choices. I think there's there's strong choices. They might be obvious choices, but I think they are it doesn't make them any less uh, appropriate. I'm I'm so glad that you brought up the Superman parallel too because I actually had one for my next character. So I I wanted Cyclops on my team too. I just I I wanted to avoid it going too classic because my next I get guy that. my I guess I guess you're right. They they are filling these roles. My second in command for this team is Colossus. Yes. Oh. So Man. I again I I love the Superman parallel you made because I think I've actually tweeted this Peter Rasputin to me is the Superman of the X-Men. He's 100%. like he will absolutely make the sacrifice play just because there is something so inherently good in him. Um to me he's like the perfect embodiment of the phrase gentle giant where he's got all of this power but at the same time he doesn't ever want to use it in a way that hurts and i mm -hmm. think um i think that contrasts amazingly against the the kind of tone that hickman has set with krakoa because he's he's sort of built krakoa up as this fairly militarized nation everybody's kind of thinking a lot more pragmatically mm -hmm. and you know to break from the from that convention you want somebody who definitely sees the world in more black and white, who wants to uphold whatever ideals they had, because if you don't have those, then what are you even fighting for? And um, I, it's especially interesting because that's actually kind of put Colossus on a collision course with the rest of the X-Men. Um, I know he, he was recently featured in X-Force a couple of times and um, he actually butted heads with some of the more morally dubious people over that. Mm. And I would love to see him on a team where we actually get to explore those dynamics. And the team is actually built around this idea that they don't have to be uh, semi-shady to get stuff done. Yeah. And I'm, oh man, I love Colossus as a character. Um because you're absolutely right. He is that guy who you can always look to and be like, hey, are we making the right choice here? Because <laughs> if Colossus doesn't believe in you, you have like royally messed up. And I, I, I had him on my, on like, I think three drafts of my team and um spoiler alert, he is not on my team, but I, I know I, I, Honestly, because I was really looking into kind of what um, what purpose he would serve on the team, and I decided to kind of split him up. I'll get into it later. Um, I promise, Colossus fans, I still love him very, very much. Um, but that is an awesome choice, and I think for for a second command, especially for um, a second command to someone like Aurora, who really does. Um, does well with empathetic uh, teammates. I think that's a wonderfully inspired choice. Really, really good stuff. And for my second in command, again, I am a I am a basic boy. Um, I have Marvel Girl. I have Jean Grey because just like um, 
Sunspot and Cannonball, Cyclops and Jean are kind of a package duo for me. Um, Jean is, you know, she's got, you know, your basic telepathy, telekinesis. Her, um, her role in the team, I think, is going to be more towards that, like, that older sister guiding hand. She is going to be the one who can kind of, um, soften any kind of, uh, disputes that are going on. She's the one who can be kind of a liaison for, uh, Cyclops to the rest of the team because, uh, Cyclops has been steadily over the years ever since, I mean, really, um, I would say probably, uh, Schism. He's been slowly drifting since the Utopia era towards a more paramilitary uh, style. And having the two of them there, I will, I'm going to go on record right now. I'm just going to say this and, you know, listeners, you can do with this what you may. Um, I very much prefer Scott and Emma as a couple. I'm just going to say that. It's blasphemous, I know. But... um, but I think for this era of the X-Men, for this era of the Krakoan X-Men, um, having Jean on the team makes sense to me, especially because um, she, I mean, really the whole Summers family has been kind of the focal point of the main X-Men book, which this would all kind of be taking place in. And having someone who is that powerful, who has um, a bevy of different abilities that she can use to, I mean, in the most recent issue, like she, you know, again, Brett Booth art aside, um, <laughs> she became essentially like a private detective CSI. And like, I had no idea that you could use her powers in that way, but I really like where she is right now when it comes to the X books ever since her, um, her revival, uh, she's really kind of turned things around, at least for my perception of her. And uh, that is why she is my second in command. She's no Colossus, but <laughs> but uh, but yeah, she is my second in command. Yeah, I do think Jean is a fantastic choice, though, especially because um, like Dawn of X, she's been given a kind of focus that I've never really seen before. I mean, she's she's shown up in stories and she's been kind of like the focal point of a lot of them. But we've never really seen her, uh, I guess, like in control and sort of ma- she she's never had like a degree of mastery that we've seen in the Hickman era. She mm-hmm. seems very, very put together to the point where she I think she's actually starting to outshine Scott in some areas. And I think the, I think the latest story definitely kind of hinted at that. She stepped up when he got taken off the board at some point. So I'd love Mm -hmm. to see more of that. For sure. Yeah. So what is your third member on your team? Okay. My third member is something of a powerhouse and she's actually one of the, uh, the choices that, uh, that, uh, people are voting for now. Mm-hmm. My third choice is Polaris. I knew it. I knew she was going to be on your team. <laughs> She's great, honestly. And I I credit a lot of that to X Factor. Um, obviously, like we, I could have chosen Magneto, but given that he's a member of the council, he's a senior guy, he kind of thinks big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've definitely explored a lot of his character. But Polaris, uh, she... She's almost the exact opposite that uh, 
her dad is. She's she's definitely a lot more hot headed. Mm-hmm. Um, she she isn't one to really play by the rules, especially like if you put her into a into a direct path with Magneto. She kind of goes out of her way to say, "I don't need to play by your rules." And I think, again, that's it's very important. You want to establish that the X-Men exist outside of the Quiet Council's authority. Um, and this isn't like, this isn't from a, a drama perspective, but I also think that uh, Lorna has sort of gotten uh, more of a chance to shine out here. Definitely, I love her in X-Factor, but I would love to see how she fares in the wider world because the x-men aren't just like krakoa's agents they're a global team which means at some point lorna would have to come face to face with her sister yeah i would i would kill for a story where polaris and the scarlet witch face off whether like they're fighting or they're just sort of hashing out you know what happened because i think if you put Magneto in that spot, he'll choose Krakoa because that's like his mission. He values mm-hmm. his mission more than anything else. But I think Lorna is a bit more accepting and open-minded. And I would love to see all sorts of stories with her on a team like that. Also, just one last note, and I have this written down. Um, she could make Colossus the smaller part of the fastball special. Oh my god, that's so true. <laughs> that would be amazing. I we're, we're only three members in, and I'm already I'm signing off on this. Uh, oh, that would be fantastic. They they call out fastball special. You see, Lorna just like launch colossus. <laughs> oh, that would be so cool. Um, yeah, Lorna is a fantastic choice, honestly. And I, I knew that she was going to be on, on your team, but she is, for all the reasons you stated, she is the superior choice to a character like Magneto. She is a Magneto who is way more interesting at their current state to uh, to play with. Uh, her mental instability as well, and I love that you brought up Scarlet Witch and Pietro. Um, we've gotten some interesting... Uh, developments with them over recent years they're like they're not magneto's kids anymore they're like not mutants anymore they are who knows it's hearsay um because i really wanted to put especially with i mean with uh wandavision going on and the stock of scarlet witch being sky high right now um i really wanted to put either one of them or both of them on the team but I, I I decided to go with uh, Krakoan uh, pure bloods in that in that sense. Um, but yeah, I think it would be because at, at some point because they're treating ever since Hawksbox, they're essentially treating Wanda like some kind of uh, boogeyman, and I love that aspect where they're just like, yeah, the what, what do they call her, the Deceiver or the Great Pretender or something like that. Yeah. But it's like she's this like ethereal creature who is just like, you know, people tell stories of to scare kids at night. Like, and I love that. And again, going back to Polaris, she is a fantastic 
fantastic character who I agree hasn't gotten a as good a shake prior to uh, Hox Pox as she currently is right now. I've heard really good things about that X Factor book too. Um, I uh, for my third member, I decided to go with. I wanted to keep my big three together, uh, Wolverine, but I am going with the one true Wolverine, and that is Laura Kinney. Uh, Laura Kinney Wolverine is my third, uh, my third member. She is under my my code names. She is the Enforcer. Uh, she is our durable champ who we can send into like covert ops. She can go undercover. Um, she's willing to make tough decisions. And she's honestly, I mean, for me, a lot of these are, but uh, she's the sentimental favorite for me because I really, I want Laura Kinney on a mainline X team as Wolverine because one of my favorite exchanges in... Um, in the Dawn of X was when they are getting ready to send uh, her, Sink, and Darwin into the vault. Um, I'm really excited for them to come out of the vault, by the way. Yeah, uh, same. And they're basically saying, like, and X-23, who, like Wolverine, she's like, actually, I'm Wolverine. <laughs> Logan's just like, yep. Yeah, she is. Um but I, I absolutely adore Laura as a character. I think she would be a really interesting choice as our, um, essentially as our enforcer character who is uh, sent through to make tough decisions. And she's the one who people will look to to kind of get things done, regardless of how um, how morally dubious they may be. Because I think you, you made an excellent point in that the this version of the x-men is essentially going to be their ambassadors to the world they're going to be the public face of krakoa and i think having at least you know from my roster so far having cyclops and gene who people are familiar with and uh the all new all different wolverine uh would be a at least for me, would be really fun to kind of experiment with because we're all more or less familiar with the uh, Scott, Gene, and Logan dynamic. But I think having Laura be there and having and her having kind of something to prove and her being like, I am going to, because she's, I mean, she's already proven that she's Wolverine, but to the, you know, outlying Marvel universe to kind of put her stamp on things, I think she would be, she, she is my third choice for my team. I mean, that's, that is a fantastic choice. And I've got an awful lot of egg on my face because she was also my fourth choice. No way. That's great. No, that's awesome. That said, um, I mean, I've thought about this. I've thought specifically, I want a Wolverine on my team. Agreed. But I, I absolutely knew that like Laura would have to exist on that in some form. That said, I've also thought of backups. Oh, as much as I would love Laura on this team, just to see how she interacts with like the, I guess the more idealistic people. Um, I also wanted to see if, um, sorry. I also would love to see how her younger sister would fare on an X-Men oh, team. Honey Badger. Yeah. Or scout or tiny or Wolverine, whatever you'd like to call her. Um, <laughs> Gabby Kinney has been like a, a standout addition to me, not only because 
of uh of the whole generational element of things and how like they've kind of built wolverine into a mantle but um they've also kind of shown how with every iteration the character becomes more heroic in a way because mm -hmm. you had logan who is essentially he's he's always haunted by his past he's never really considered himself free of it and then they brought in laura who through the all new all different wolverine kind of uh made the choice to move beyond that and then you have gabby who i'd argue is the purest form of um of what laura wants to become she's endured a lot of hardship and tragedy but she's still incredibly optimistic and she's still you know very headstrong she wants to make uh the world work for people like her and it's interesting to see someone so young who's also so empowered to make that happen and i'd love to see um her kind of act as a counterpoint to uh to any member on the team who thinks that something can't be done or shouldn't be done <laughs> because i think she'll absolutely stand up to them if given the chance for sure and that oh man i love i love gabby as a character um and we really haven't seen too much of her since since Hoxpox kicked off dawn of x and everything um and i just i oh man i that's oh, that's so cool and just like they, they could I mean, go, going to that point now, I'm now I'm speculating and I'm fantasy booking this uh, this comic moment. We get a essentially a double fastball special where Polaris launches Colossus a certain amount and then he launches Gabby the rest of the way. Um, yeah, that's great, man. And I mean, either either the rocket one. ship, <laughs> they break off pieces as they go. Yeah, um, <laughs> I I would buy both the a cover and the variant cover for that comic um yeah that that's a fantastic choice and i like that you brought up the idea that you need someone to kind of shake things up to kind of butt heads with other characters and for me when you're thinking about that kind of wild card character if if wolverine who kind of or pardon pardon me if logan who doesn't really um who isn't on my team uh isn't there to fill that kind of wild card you know butting head spot then who there's gotta be a wild card character on there and for me that's that's our girl boom 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 is my fourth pick tabitha smith um she is just everything you could want from a wild card rogue character who just you know, will just argue till the cows come home with management. Um, I would love to see how she reacts to to Cyclops, especially now in his more like general state. Um, she's got attitude for days, but she does have team experience, uh, being a prominent member of both X Force and Next Wave. Uh, I I really dig Boom Boom. I think that she is in a prime position because she doesn't really have, at least from my just basic understanding, um, she doesn't really have a huge direction right now. And I might be wrong. She might be popping up in another X book. But 
Um, I think she's a fantastic character who will give a lot of flavor to the not just the team as uh, when it comes to their power sets with her explosions, but also to the actual like interpersonal relationships when it comes to uh, the team members. So uh, Tabitha Boom Boom is my number four pick. Every team needs a chaotic neutral, right? They do. <laughs> it's so true. Yep. That is... Speaking of, um, I have a similar choice. I mean, definitely not as, um, as I'm going to say, extroverted as, as Boom Boom <laughs> is. But uh, That is a you, word for it. You definitely don't know where she might fall, especially given how she's been set up in, in the Dawn of X so far. And my next choice is Mystique. Ooh, nice. It's interesting because she's she's kind of been established as a member of the Quiet Council, although it's abundantly clear that she really doesn't want to be there. Right. Especially if you read uh, in Hellions, she's got multiple panels of putting her head in her hands and saying, please kill me. Oh, God. And um, <laughs> I think... I think it's, it's definitely worth examining because she's... She's also kind of under the thumb of both Professor X and Magneto. Um, especially, like, going through the the mainline X-Men title. Sorry if this spoils anything, but it's been revealed that she's kind of where she is because Charles and Eric are holding uh, destiny over yeah. her head. They're refusing to resurrect her until she kind of uh, goes through this checklist for them. And it would be fun to see um, how she meshes with the rest of this team. Maybe she's trying to get away from them, or maybe they're trying to influence the X-Men through her. Um, but there are definitely a lot of interesting possibilities you could take with this, especially since uh, the, the last development we got on this story is Mystique may be talking with Destiny, and Destiny is not happy about the situation that they're both in. And it's it's so like it's fascinating to me just the uh, the whole situation surrounding Destiny because the they have a strict uh, no precogs allowed on yeah. Krakoa, um, which they they sprinkled in during. Um, during Hoxpox, and then they just have not touched on at all. And it's that classic Hickman long game storytelling um, that is definitely going to come into play at some point. But I, ah, God, um, I was I was talking before about my uh, about Laura being my kind of covert op choice, and Mystique is excellent for that. Um, and she would be a really interesting uh, balance being on the same team as Colossus <laughs> because like, oh man, you cannot find two more different people than Mystique and Colossus in every single way possible. And I just, oh man, I, I, I love that pick. Um, for my fifth pick, I went a little bit more uh, altruistic in a way. This is one of my one of my two characters who kind of serves the uh, the Colossus role of being kind of our moral compass of the team. And he's, he's a character who I don't think uh, gets enough credit for what he has accomplished and can accomplish. And again, is a sentimental favorite of mine as a, as a 90s kid. Uh, it's Sink, Everett, Everett Thomas. 
Um, Sink is this character in in my code names. He is he's the backup, um, which belies the idea that he is probably the most powerful member on my team. Because for those of you who aren't aware of the character, um, shame on you for not reading uh, Generation X. But uh, his whole deal is uh, mimicry, or I guess in in his official capacity would be synchronicity with his uh his mutant name but basically he can copy any mutant abilities that's in a uh immediate vicinity of him and the amount of like interesting stories you could tell of someone going down and him having to kind of take over that um that position or that spot or that power set in any given uh, situation, I think is incredibly interesting. Plus he is that kind of character, that kind of um, Captain America character. Uh, at least he kind of served that purpose in the uh, generation X book where he was the guy who was like, okay, I know we can do this, but should we do this? And him being a moral compass for the team, I think is needed. Um, also just, you know, speaking about uh, Wolverine, he's he's already, you know, worked with her for God knows how many decades or hundreds of years that they spent in the vault. So I have a bond in there. I know. And like having having two people who um, are very familiar with each other, I think will overall help out the team and make them a more cohesive unit. Um, and again, he just he has one of the most powerful mutant abilities in the history of um, of the Marvel Universe. And I think that he is absolutely someone who you would want on a team like this. So that is my uh, number five pick. I'm I'm so furious that I didn't choose sync at all. Just because the idea of incorporating two of the, the vault people onto your team is amazing i would love to see just how it changes them and how that dynamic kind of shapes the entire team agreed i'm i'm stoked to see how what has happened what has become of them when they come out of the vault because that has been something that they've been really building and really like taking the time in the x-books to be like hey did you hear they're coming out of the vault soon so i'm i'm very interested yeah i oh gosh (laughs) I don't know if I can follow that up. Um, my next pick um, is actually kind of someone who's been uh, a little bit understated in in these X books. She's she's definitely been uh, she spent most of her existence kind of like as an attachment to somebody else, and that's what I find so fascinating about her. Uh, my next pick is Psylocke, specifically Quanon. Ooh. And uh, she, like her story has been developing in a very interesting way, uh, kind of like the rest of the people on my team. She's a bit of an outsider and she doesn't really know kind of who she is because she spent, I mean, I, I don't even know how long bonded with Betsy Braddock, who's mm-hmm. Captain Britain or yeah, Captain Britain now. And, uh, I mean, ever since then, she's kind of been drifting. She's um, She was kind of a part of the Fallen Angels team, and now she's drifting into Sinister's Hellions, which I find incredibly entertaining. Um, <laughs> she's kind of like the Rick Flag to their Suicide Squad. 
And oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely worth exploring because she's kind of um, developing her own arc where she she's sort of taking on a role similar to Laura in that like she knows she's capable of doing better, but will this world let her do that? Um, I mean, definitely what she's been doing with Sinister, she kind of sees herself as uh, more of like uh, someone who's comfortable and morally gray. And I think that would be fascinating uh, to, to kind of see her paired up with the rest of this team, especially Mystique and um, kind of against odds with, uh, with the idealists like Colossus and Storm. For sure. And I think that, oh, that's so cool. Like I keep, every time you like, you add to your team, I'm just like, I'm picturing just the, just the interpersonal relationships that would happen there. Like that's, oh, that just having, especially because um, the 90s era of the X-Men, which was very uh, Storm and Colossus heavy, um, also featured uh, Psylocke very heavily in that kind of uh Jim Lee era um but that was again Betsy Braddock bat- bonded to her so it would be really cool to see those three interacting with each other with them being like oh yeah hey you know remember that and you know Quanon's just like no <laughs> um and I think that's that's so cool too because yeah um Betsy Braddock was definitely one of the first names that I put down and I had to remember like, Oh, right. She's Captain Britain now. And she's split from Quinnon. Um, that's great. That's, that's a fantastic choice. And she would be interesting too. When you think about, you know, that kind of outside, like, I, I love the direction of making them like outsiders. Um, and really having them as characters who may not get along with everyone. Um, but are kind of like the, Hey, we're the X-Men deal with it. And I, that's so, Oh, that's so great, man. I, I'm, and, and she would be... I'm making that this team's catchphrase. <laughs> and she would be an interesting, um, kind of role model character, maybe not a role model, but, um, in kind of that role model character for, uh, for Gabby, that would be a fascinating relationship to see that kind of grow and evolve. Um, and I kind of, you know, thinking about psionic uh, mutants, uh, my sixth pick is my muscle. The one who, and this is the uh, second part of the Colossus, uh, the Colossus conundrum, where basically I was like, he's got to be the moral compass and he's got to be our muscle. Um, and we have Sync as the moral compass. And for our muscle, I have another member from the, uh, from the, x-men vote lineup from the campaigning uh group it's armor um hisako ichiki uh she is my muscle she is with her uh psionic exoskeleton i think she would be just a fantastic character to uh also be kind of our uh our tank our offensive and defensive tank who can go into a situation and either buy time, protect bystanders, or uh, really just kind of connect with other people. <laughs> because the characters that I have, regardless of you know how great of characters they are, I wouldn't... Um, I don't know if I'd call them people people. Uh, 
especially with kind of like the modern world and I think having uh, a kind of a uh, younger POV character in armor would be really interesting to have kind of as this character who's kind of learning her way. She's finding her way. She's still developing her powers. She has this really great relationship with Logan. So now her having to kind of uh, be on the same team with Wolverine, but it not be the Wolverine that she's used to, I think would be really interesting as well. And I, I really wanted a younger character. And I think, um, armor is just a just a cool choice in how different her powers are to everybody else's because i didn't like my main thing is i didn't want like uh redundancies though i guess that doesn't make sense with sync um <laughs> but i i really wanted characters who could complement each other who could you know be who could utilize their abilities uh to balance each other out and i think armor would be the character for me that you could kind of follow along in the book to see how she grows her uh her expectations of being you know kind of in the big leagues and also her maybe finding out that you know you should never meet your heroes so that is that is my number six pick oh i love that i especially armor i i've been following uh I think she shows up in New Mutants, and she's she's had a fantastic arc throughout that so far. And, uh, you know, I, I never really knew much about her as a character, but after reading that, I would love to see her take more of the spotlight, and especially as a part of the X-Men. That would be fantastic. Yeah, agreed. I think she's she's a character who has a lot of untapped potential, kind of in the same way that Jubilee was when she was first introduced. Um, in the same way that, you know, Kitty was when she first popped up as well. So I think, I think that would be a really fun choice to kind of inject some fun into these stuffy adults. But, uh, what is your final member on your team? I, I cannot wait to, to find this out. It's, it's funny you should mention untapped potential because, I mean, I actually started with this, this last pick as mostly a joke. And since then I've kind of really like built an argument around this. And uh, my last pick is Cypher, Douglas Ramsey. Yes. And, that, and that's not just a sentimental choice, is it? Oh, I mean, like 70, <laughs> 30, but you know, uh, I, f I found his arc throughout the Dawn of X, especially interesting because he, I mean, he's mostly known for being the dead new mutant he's actually <laughs> been dead longer than he's been alive but right. i mean since he's come back he's taken a massive role in the books he's become the voice of krakoa he's kind of been like the the one wild card choice in the ten of swords tournament and um he kind of subverted everybody's expectations because I, I love tweeting about this. Like anytime I return to Ten of Swords, it's always like Doug's gonna super die. And <laughs> he's he's maybe the one guy who actually came out of the tournament better than he entered it, which I oh, find interesting. incredibly like entertaining. But also, um I put him on this team specifically because of his ties to another element of Hoxpox being the phalanx. Uh, so Cypher is, I mean, he's inseparable from his best friend, which is Warlock. And Warlock 
is actually a deviant node from the phalanx. Doug Locke. He's, um, it's really interesting because throughout Hawkspox, the kind of like end point that um, is the worst of the worst case scenarios is the phalanx grow to a galactic scale and they end up devouring the world and maybe a large chunk of the galaxy. So it'd be interesting to see if the X-Men know about Warlock's connection to that and if they're trying to harness it. Um, especially because, I mean, Cypher is integral to Krakoa, so I feel like they'd have to know he he has some sway over it. Right. And, I mean, it's it's interesting because we've only kind of seen Cypher's powers in terms of communication and language because that's his his deal he can understand languages but also his connections with warlock have let him interface with Grokoa on an unseen level like there there's this great little panel where he arrives on Krakoa with charles like before this even begins and he just kind of like touches a leaf and it immediately turns techno organic like warlock and i'd love to see if somehow uh, they can actually bring Krakoa with them. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, like we've seen, they can, they can make gates, they can make sort of like little um, kind of outcroppings. But since Krakoa's interfaced with Warlock and Warlock's interfaced with Cypher, what if they start to merge into one triad being? What would that look like and how how would they sort of like find their own place among the mutant world? Yeah, that would be fascinating. Cause I mean, it, it is interesting to think about, you know, how the phalanx, cause they did show up in, uh, they're actually a pretty major part of, uh, of powers of 10. Yeah. With the kind of the flash forward. Um, and there, it's very clear that that whole connection between uh, Doug, Douglas and Warlock, that that Douglock period um, still weighs on him, whether it's narratively or emotionally or whatever. Um, and Doug, Douglas is an interesting character because he, like you said, he's so tied to the current status quo. Like he is there in with Krakoa at this point because he's, he's their guy. He's their guy who can actually talk to the island. Um, that's a fantastic choice. And him being kind of the great, um, the great white mage of the team is, uh, is really, really cool. Um, for my final pick, I kind of went in the opposite direction, you know, away from someone who I think would be, uh, kind of a heart and soul character, like, like Douglas would be for your character. And I went for a character who I'm doubling, who I'm dubbing the nuclear option. He is the guy you send in for a last resort. This is if everyone is incapacitated or whatever, this is the guy you send in. And my final pick is Gabriel Summers Vulcan. Ooh. So here's the thing. Vulcan, depending on what point in his publication history you look at, is not a good character. He just isn't. And I understand that. I get that. But, uh, but Vulcan, especially since, um, since, uh, Hoxpox is one of, for me, one of the most fascinating characters that is still 
in that kind of, like you said, that untapped potential, almost a ticking time bomb kind of uh, state. Uh, the Empire tie-in with him in the uh, in the main X-Men book is a fantastic issue. And his he's got so much that you can do with him. Uh, I mean, his, his power set is off the charts. His energy manipulation is probably... I think arguably the most powerful of the three Summers brothers. And he is somebody who can mess things up real quick. I mean, he tore open a hole in the fabric of time and space with Black Bolt during the, uh, the War of Kings. And ever since then, he's come back as kind of a changed man. Um, it is unclear at least, you know, it, it hasn't been officially confirmed that he that this version of Vulcan is the one that was pulled back. Um, or if this is, you know, just a uh, uh, five production. Um, but he he has been having like these weird dreams and this. PTSD, and I think he would be a really interesting character to explore further, and I think they're going to, but uh, he would be my character who is trying to find himself through this through this book. Each of each of the characters would be on kind of a narrative arc, but um, he would be this person who's really trying to find his place because um, he's not Cyclops, he's not Havoc, he he is he's the third Summers brother. He continues on my uh, my Summers supremacy with my <laughs> my uh, my X Men team, but he is somebody who has a lot of different avenues that you can take with him narratively, and him being kind of damaged goods, a ticking time bomb, um, as someone who has the potential to really like mess things up. Up for both Krakoa as well as its enemies, I think would make him a really interesting character, especially when you put him in the hands or on the same team with characters who would absolutely push his buttons like Boom Boom. Um, I think it would be really fascinating to see where they go with him in this new era. So that is why he is my he is my final pick for my X Men team. Ah, uh, I I absolutely love that. I never thought of including Vulcan in anything, but like I, even going back to that, uh, that empire crossover, you're right. I forgot how character heavy it was and how, how much there is beneath the surface with Vulcan and with your entire team. Honestly, I like the idea that it's this, <laughs> this sort of like motley assortment that <laughs> come together and make like one gigantic coiled spring, you know, like you have no idea how, how they're going to to make their mark as an X team. And I think that's the single greatest thing you could achieve. Well, and that's something that I've really enjoyed recently about um, any time that the X-Men show up in other books. Um, one of my favorites is uh, them popping up with uh, the Fantastic Four. You know, anytime you see them like post Hawks Pox, it's like, oh, what is going on? Like, what? Why are they here? Uh, what is their motive? How do these characters feel about Krakoa? And um, the thing about what's what's great about Vulcan is that he is, in all intents and purposes, a blank slate because he hasn't really gotten a whole lot of characterization. <laughs> and I think what they're doing with him with that 
again, one of my favorite issues so far of the Dawn of X was that Empire crossover. Um, and I think that just in that same breath, like your team is really fascinating to think about just as like a crew, like when people and I, I could, I can see the sequence so clearly in my mind, um, them going through like, you know, when you think about X-Men teams of the past, you think of, you know, the classic team, you think of the original five, you think of, you know, the, um, the deadly or the not deadly Genesis. Yes. Deadly Genesis. Uh, the, the, the second team that came about the, uh, the 92 team, these like, uh, the Grant Morrison team, you know, these pillars, these very heroic, uh, group. And then you kind of like pan down and you get this new crew that has those heroic characters like a storm, like a Colossus, but also kind of these wild cards like a Gabby, like a Quanon. Like, I think it's fascinating and i think your team would be so much fun to see what they do what shenanigans they get into and just having kind of uh douglas like running behind them just like continuously like guys i don't know what we're doing um i think that's so cool now you did say that you had some backups and i have some honorable mentions myself Ooh, okay. so um Please let me know what your backups were or your honorable mentions, and then we'll we'll kind of jump into mine as well. Well, I mean, I I definitely had a lot of backups for the Wolverine role, specifically <laughs> um, I because there are so many of them. Uh, I definitely thought about what a team with Dakin would look like. Yeah, he's he's someone who's had a very interesting trajectory um, mm-hmm. because I mean. He's obviously been an evil Wolverine, but we've never actually seen him uh, sort of try to live up to his more heroic siblings. We've actually seen him interact with Laura before, but I'd love to see just how much of an impact she's made on him. Right. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Uh, let me let me think. Uh, another backup that I had just because um, back when I was considering Laura on the team was uh, Gambit. Just because they, nice. they have a very strong history together. And, um, I mean, you always want somebody who's, I guess, like, got a history with the X-Men, but could go either way. And I think mm-hmm. Gambit's arc has been fascinating, especially since um, he and Rogue have sort of become, like, a more official thing. Yeah. Um, the Mr. and Mrs. X series was great because it made him sort of, like lose his um what do you call it his his devil may care persona and he's become more of like a stay-at-home dad and i would (laughs) love to see how that gambit fares uh with with the rest of these people who kind of like don't have that strong uh of connections to the rest of you know their community to their world yeah that that would be great too and I mean, it's it's so interesting when you like when you think about what the um, what the dynamics would be. And I think honestly, it's it's fascinating to me how many um, classic characters we both kind of left off of our lists. Obviously, again, I I'm a basic boy, so I went with Cyclops and Jean. But like, there are a ton of like, I guess you could consider them like a list X Men that weren't on either of our lists. And I think that's really exciting when you think about what the team 
what the team could be going forward in uh, this new Reign of X era. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's the quote that Stan Lee has where he says, I might as well have created a bunch of rabbits because they keep multiplying. Yeah. I mean, there's I think it's it's a great metaphor because there's literally an X-Men for everybody out there. Right. You can make, uh, I mean, a limitless number of teams and they could all have their own distinct flavor. And it's just so cool to see what comes next. For sure. And if, if I can be so bold as to jump into a couple of my honorable mentions as well, um, I already mentioned uh, Colossus and Polaris on uh, earlier, but uh, my I basically when I kind of whittled it down, um, there were three characters that I kind of left off and I wanted to at least mention because they were very close to getting on the team. Um, Armor was almost almost replaced by uh, molly hayes from the runaways um she is so much fun she's been like again she kind of fills that muscle role but uh what i love about her character is that she has uh, her super strength has uh a toll it takes a toll on her so like in her first appearance she could do one you know superhuman punch and then she'd pass out and so having like a character who essentially like for you know all intents and purposes levels up throughout the story i think would be really fun um also jubilee she's a sentimental favorite i love jubilee so much oh absolutely um, but i think she's she's you know she she was very close but i think it's it's for me she kind of i couldn't have both her and boom boom on the team and for the team that i was building boom boom had to be there she just had to be um and then my last character was a character who i have a very deep-seated love for and that's quentin choir uh i love that little that little shithead i love him so much um Quentin Quire is a terrible person, but I love every time that he is part of a team. Uh, recently, uh, the West Coast Avengers book was so much fun having him on that team. Um, but he is, as far from what I understand, he is doing stuff on... Um, uh, which book is that? Uh, I think it's X-Force. Yes, 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 yes. And um, kind of having two telepaths with Gene already there was kind of redundant again redundancies for me but um i i will always find a way to to get quentin choir in a story because he is just such an interesting character and really just kind of like this wrecking ball that falls into situations and royally messes everything up <laughs> so as we're wrapping up here um do you doug have any uh final thoughts on the hickman era on any um really on any uh xbooks any uh recommendations for our listeners on xbooks that they should be kind of keeping an eye out for going forward oh gosh there's there's a whole lot to name uh <laughs> i mean personal standouts for me i absolutely loved sword uh sword has been fantastic so far only like two or maybe three issues in but it's the most bonkers wild cosmic thing i've i've seen this year and i love it I have heard a lot of good things about Sword. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to describe. It's like, um, I think I mentioned earlier too, like I, I don't find the Shi'ar stuff all that accessible, but uh, 
it like sword for me was very much a clean slate it's very much like this is the mutant space program and this is how crazy it'll look as soon as you're there um another standout for me is i think you're in the know on this marauders which yes. has been fantastic i love oh. kitty or or kate pride in just about any story she's in and i can't wait to continue that story with her absolutely agree i mean give or take you know some knuckle tattoos but uh <laughs> i love those I, I i think it was a cool cover photo or, or a cool uh a cool cover but i it just like was sinking into jumping the shark territory when she actually got them um <laughs> But no, I think that's honestly, it is such a great book. And it's got an incredible, incredible roster on it. Um, it's got Emma Frost, and I love me some Emma Frost. Her and Kate working together is just a match made in heaven because they're so different. Um, and you've got characters like Bishop, like Storm, like Pyro. Pyro getting the skull tattoo on his face is the dumbest thing, and I love it. Um, so absolutely i will recommend marauders anytime that it comes up and let me think there's uh there's one more that i actually just finished um if if i had to recommend one more i would definitely recommend new mutants i feel like nice um it's definitely a title that's gone by the wayside especially since the the movie didn't do too hot but um (laughs) I, I I don't think that's an excuse to write these characters off. They're fair. They're fantastic. Ileana Rasputin's fantastic. Danny Moonstar is fantastic. And hey, uh, Doug is fantastic. <laughs> he he he's got a he's got to show show the Doug love. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so, if our listeners want to uh, link up with you, kind of uh, see what you're up to, and anything else that you want to plug, please feel free to do so. Uh, where can our listeners find you if they want to uh, check you out on the socials and the other stuff? Oh, you can find me on YouTube, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and probably Instagram at For Every Kind of Geek. And honestly, like Doug is doing the Lord's work on YouTube right now. Like some of my favorite video essays, he has been just absolutely knocking out of the park. And that that uh, that hoxpox video is honestly just the way that you formatted it making it feel like a literal extension of the format of that uh of hickman's way of doing these x-books a plus inspired stuff so go check out that video go check out his whole catalog of videos and thank you so much for being on the show man this is great thank you and thanks for having me Absolutely. You heard it here first from the expert himself. I'm going to keep doing that as much as I can. This is only our third X-Men episode. I can't believe that. But yeah, I I think honestly, no matter what way you look at it, the reign of X is going to be quite the interesting time. And I cannot wait to see where the X-Men go next.
It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing episode four of WandaVision entitled, We Interrupt This Program. Um, this was a fantastic episode, let me freaking tell ya. Um, this was essentially kind of the catch-up episode. This was the exposition episode where we start to learn things. Um, but, oh my gosh, it kicks things off right away. That opening scene was mwah, chef's kiss. So freaking good. Um, basically, with uh, Geraldine, or as we now know, Monica Rambeau, um, waking up after basically coming back from the snapping and watching a hospital suddenly fill up with people who were there five years ago. Uh, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And they, tr they played it straight. Unlike Far From Home, which made it very much a comedic kind of thing, I, I adored this. This was really, really cool and immediately sets you up like, oh, this is going to be a very serious episode. And so this episode kind of centers around our two... Uh, uh, kind of our two POV characters of the normal variety, or I guess essentially three, uh, Monica Rambeau and Jimmy Woo coming back, Randall Park from uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and don't think I didn't see you perfecting your uh, your up-close magic, Jimmy Woo. I saw you. Um, as well as Darcy. Darcy from the Thor films. I'm a big fan of Darcy. I, I know that she can get on people's nerves and she's not everybody's cup of tea. But I really enjoy her. I really enjoy Kat Dennings as well. So this was a match made in heaven. Uh, we did find out some things. Uh, Westview is in New Jersey. But apparently there's some stuff going on where no one can remember that Westview is an actual... Um, an actual community, an actual town, at least not the people who are in the immediate vicinity of it. Uh, we got some uh, insight into S.W.O.R.D., which I was really excited about. Uh, finally kind of learning more about S.W.O.R.D., the fact that it was set up by um, by Maria Rambeau, Monica's mom, uh, probably shortly after uh, the events of Captain Marvel. And we also got uh, something that I think everyone should key into uh, going forward, CMBR. Uh, cosmic microwave background radiation. Uh, there is apparently a ton of it around Westview, and this might, I would say this is probably going to come in, into play later on, so definitely keep your eyes on this. But what this episode was kind of about was explaining the unexplained. Uh, the helicopter, the Little Red helicopter we now know was a drone that... Uh, that uh, Monica sent in initially before she was pulled into uh, the illusion herself, into the uh, altered reality of uh, WandaVision. Uh, we know that the radio signal now was Jimmy Woo. I would be really interested. I haven't gone back yet, but I'd be really interested to kind of go back and watch that episode and see if I can actually make out Randall Park's voice in that. Um, so that was great. And then we found out that my theory from episode two has been officially busted. I thought that the beekeeper was um, was a clue towards AIM being involved. But um, the beekeeper was, in fact, a sword agent. Apparently, I just missed the fact that he had a sword emblem on the back of his uh, beekeeper outfit. But um, he was a guy who was in a hazmat suit crawling through the sewers. And as soon as he got to that like barrier that separates their reality from the WandaVision reality uh, or the Westview reality, um, the little, uh, you know, uh, 
cord that was attached to him turned into like an old school jump rope and his hazmat suit turned into a beekeeper suit so we still don't know what happened to him after the rewind which i think is horrifying but um i thought this episode was really interesting and really fun um essentially darcy kind of figures out that um that the broadcast signal is being uh, essentially utilized as a uh, as an old school uh, sitcom broadcast, and so she was the one who, in the fir- at the end of the first episode, was watching and like had the little journal. Um, and I really like how they kind of made um, Darcy, Jimmy, and the other characters as kind of the uh, the POV of the audience who are like, what's going on with these characters? Oh, that person's there. So um, there's definitely some more stuff on the horizon here. Uh, They also started uh, pinpointing people's identities. And I think very interestingly, uh, Agnes was not revealed, nor was Dottie. So keep your eye on those two. Um, there have been some rumors, uh, we do know, or at least we can assume that Agnes is in fact Agatha Harkness, uh, but we don't know that for sure, and we can't, and there have been some theories going around that Dottie might actually be Clea, which I would be, uh, very interested in, but, uh, the end of the episode was really kind of the big thing where they flash back to the, uh, end of last week's episode, which was, um, uh, Wanda kind of, figuring out that Geraldine doesn't belong there after she kind of blows her cover trying to figure out what's going on. Um, And then she just like rockets her out. We saw like her coming up to uh, Geraldine or Monica and like tilting her head in the next scene. She's just like looking at their children. She's like, Oh, she had to leave. Um, Fantastic. They also had her accent come back through, which was so good. So, so good. But the really big thing that got me was this horrifying image that I was not able to get out of my head for days, which was when uh, Vision comes back around, uh, he is the uh, ghostly, like, monochrome Vision that was left after Thanos plucked the Mind Stone out of his forehead. Ugh. Shivers. Just, ugh. And I don't know what's going on. I'm assuming that can only mean that Wanda is using Vision's corpse as like a stand-in for him. And her manipulation of reality is causing him to be uh, alive, quote-unquote. We don't know. But uh, super, super cool. Uh, She also, you know, saying to him, you know, this is our home. He's like, we don't have to stay here. She's like, no, we do. This is our home. And it's like okay and then the final kicker was after uh, monica's found outside of the dome and they're like monica are you okay she's like it's wanda it's all wanda like revealing to anyone who wasn't aware that uh, wanda is in charge of the things that are going on so this seems to be a blend of house of m avengers disassembled pleasant hill lots of stuff going on there i'm very excited to see what they do next i also loved the ending um kind of showing wanda back in the uh in the reality holding her twins with vision and then we got some voodoo child i love that song i'm i mean i'm a wrestling fan so of course i love that music uh it's that old hogan nwo uh or i guess technically nw wwe nwo but whatever it's a hollywood hogan theme um absolutely loved that 
it really sets up um, Wanda as essentially the villain of this series, if not later on for uh, Multiverse of Madness as well. I am so excited. This episode got me super, super freaking hyped, and I cannot wait to see uh, this coming week's episode. So tune in next week for our next weekly review on episode five. But for now, we're going to roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. Uh, This week is going to be a little bit different from normal weeks. There will be no uh, pick of the week from last week because for... uh, Because of unforeseen circumstances, I am still, as I am recording this, catching up on the uh, books from last week, though there were plenty to read. So I am still working my way through my stack. I wasn't able to get to them until, um, you know, this... As I'm recording this, I'm still going through them right now. So uh, we will kick back... Or we will pick back up with uh, the Geek Explained Pick of the Week of last week with next week's episode. Um, But uh, that means we get more time to talk about this week's books. So let's go ahead and dive into this week's books. We'll be talking about each book's title, creative team, and... Or, yes, title, creative team, and synopsis, with each synopsis being accompanied by my synopsis voices. So let's go ahead and just dive into it. First off, Strange Academy number 8. Uh... I know, last week was Strange Academy 7, and this week is Strange Academy number 8. Uh, it's written by Scotty Young with art by Umberto Ramos. Again, I said it last week, I'll say it again, I've been loving Strange Academy, and I can't wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Students of Strange Academy go on a perfectly normal field trip to space, uncovering a magical artifact with Rocket and Groot. Yep, perfectly normal. Meanwhile, what is the Ring of Dread? So you knew Scotty Young couldn't stay away from Rocket Raccoon for too long. I'm very excited about this. This should be a fun time. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Future State Superman of Metropolis number two. This is written by Sean Lewis Brandon East, and Brandon Easton with art by Cully Hamner, Valentin Delandro, and John Timms. Um, you know, I... Last week's was not, or last issue of this, I was not super, uh, I was not super into. I'm just going to admit that now. Um, Not super into it. Um, The art was stellar, you know. Overall, it was, you know, a fine book. But I just, I really, I didn't like John as Superman, which sucks because I love John Kent. Um, But I just, I wasn't super into it. But I thought the backups were really good. So I'm excited to pick back up with what's going on with them. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Superman of Metropolis Part 2 slash The Guardian Part 2 slash Mr. Miracle Part 3. Brain Cells, the advanced offshoot of the diabolical Brainiac, continues to lure Jonathan Kent down the wrong path. But things go from bad to this can't get any worse when it appears it has also taken some manner of control over Supergirl. If the Kryptonians clash, nothing will be able to protect the bottled city of Metropolis. 
Meanwhile, inside the bottle itself, the Guardian is doing everything he can to stop the city from destroying itself from within, while Mr. Miracle has discovered the trail of a strange signal that he doesn't realize will take him to War World. So, again, I'm really just going to be reading this for the Guardian and Mr. Miracle stuff. Um, yeah, all I can really say about that. Uh, next up, we have Marauders, or... King in Black, Marauders number one, is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Luke Ross. Uh, this is our uh, Marauders King in Black crossover. Uh, Daredevil had one last week that I'm very excited to uh, finish reading. So let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. King in Black tie-in. The Queen in Red Sails. Red Queen Kate Pride and her crew of marauders set sail against the forces of Null. Captain Kate has pledged to fight for the needy, and a global disaster like this one gives plenty of folks in need. So yeah, I really dig this. Um, I love our marauders crew. I'm glad we're getting back to them on the boat. Uh, can't wait to pick this up, even if it is a King and Black tie-in. Next up, we have Future State Wonder Woman number two. This is written and illustrated by Joelle Jones. And I really dug the first Wonder Woman issue. This issue, uh, I think, is going to need to go a long way for me to really get on board with seeing more of Yara Floor. I think she's a very fascinating character and a sharp contrast to diana but i'm i'm still waiting for the direction of where they're going to go with her character so either way though i'm very excited to pick this up so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here hell to pay part two emerging from the amazon rainforest the new wonder woman must battle her way through hell witness yara floor at the height of her power as she takes on the king of the underworld, Hades himself. Betrayed by a close ally, Yara's back against the wall as she is forced to battle legions of demons for survival and to liberate her Themyscirin sister. You won't want to miss the exciting conclusion of this rising superstar hero's first adventure. So yeah, very excited about this. I hope we get to deal more with... Um, the Greek gods and diving into hell in her ongoing series whenever that ends up coming out. Next up, we have Legend of Shang-Chi number one. I know you thought we were done. Not so, my friend. Um, Shang-Chi continues in this book. I believe this is just a one-shot. Uh, this is written by Alyssa Wong with art by Andy Tong. Very excited that they're continuing to have Asian creators on Asian books. I love this so much. Keep doing this. Um... And if you enjoyed the recent Shang-Chi uh, five-issue miniseries, you should pick this up. This is going to be really, really fun. Uh, let's just dive into the synopsis and we'll, uh, we'll, kinda, we'll, we'll see what I'm talking about here. The Equinox Blade. Deadly Hands versus Deadly Blades. Someone has been stealing artifacts of WMD potential and it's up to Shang-Chi to find this person and stop them. But is he prepared to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Lady Deathstrike? So, I'm a big Lady Deathstrike mark. Um, I really dig Shang-Chi, so this is a match in heaven. Really excited about this. 
definitely pick this up. And continuing on our uh, our fighting martial arts uh, double feature, we have Firepower number eight, written by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney. Um, this is continuing on our brand new arc. I really, I, I love this series. If you haven't yet, pick this up catch up on the on the previous issues you need to be checking this out this is a fantastic book yet that you need to spend time you need to spend time with so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here who or what is the serpent's omen short sweet to the point so uh really excited about this um this book has been so good so far and i cannot wait to pick up the next issue next up we have future state the next batman number three this is uh continuing on all the threads from the first issue uh this is written by john ridley paul jenkins and brandon thomas with art by laura braga jackson herbert and sumit kumar um i've been really digging this i you know i know that all of these stories kind of drop us in the middle of these characters adventures, but I really like the way that they're structuring the next Batman story. Um, I've been really enjoying it. So uh, let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The next Batman chapter three slash outsiders part two slash Arkham Knights part two. The adventures of the next Batman continue. Batman has captured a pair of murderous fugitives, but he faces a tough decision. Leave him for the magistrate troops, which means certain death, or risk his life and fight his way through Gotham City to deliver them to the GCPD for trial. He's Batman, so there's only one choice. And in Outsiders, Katana has reunited with Black Lightning. Her old friend and ally has changed big time. Now composed of literal black lightning, Jefferson Pierce arrives with a dire warning about Duke Thomas and his mission to liberate Gotham from the oppression of the magistrate. They'll have to work together, and we really mean together, to have any hope of defeating the forces working against them. Plus, in Arkham Knights, Astrid Arkham and her band of maniacal misfits have picked a fight with the magistrate, and they're not going to back down. On the eve of their mission into the heart of Gotham's fascist occupiers, Croc, Zaz, Phosphorus, Clayface, Harvey, and the rest steal themselves to try and shine a beacon of hope into the darkness. But not everyone will make it out alive. So yeah, I really dig this. Um, I love the uh, the synopsis of the of chapter three for the next batman i am i love that idea and it's it's very um it's very uh warriors almost having to fight through gotham um i love this i really really dig this very excited but the big book of the week for me the book i think you should absolutely be picking up is far sector number 10 of course it is written by mk jemison with art by jamal campbell i absolutely love everything about this book we are in the home stretch here two issues left in this series after this one um it's it's going too bad it's going too fast but at the same time it also delayed i don't know how to feel i really want the story to continue i really want to see more of joe malane uh hopefully she makes her way into the dc universe proper not just in future state following this book but uh let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here chapter 10 
the groundbreaking sci-fi series approaches its thrilling climax. Since arriving at the city enduring, Sojourner Joe Mullane has confronted an insidious conspiracy of murder and mayhem, but even this most resilient Green Lantern reaches her breaking point when she uncovers an emotional sweatshop producing black market feelings for a world without them. But Joe is only too human. So that's interesting. I'm very, very interested in seeing what they do with this. Um, the whole idea of making uh, feelings and emotions essentially a drug is so fascinating to me. And there's so many things you can do with it. And this book has been so great so far. I cannot wait to pick this up. And I hope you can't wait either. So to recap, we've got Strange Academy number eight, Future State Superman of Metropolis number two, King and Black Marauders number one, Future State Wonder Woman number two, Legend of Shang-Chi number one, Firepower number eight, Future State the Next Batman number three, and Far Sector number ten. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time here joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice. I would also really appreciate it if you gave us a rating and review. really just helps us out. The subscriptions, the reviews, the ratings really helps the podcast out, really helps me out, and kind of raises the stock of Geeksplained in the podcasting space and kind of gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. Plus, if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can join the likes of our four horsemen, that being Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, and Burrito Man 88 want to give a big thank you to those four for their reviews, and I can't wait to hear yours. Also, feel free to follow us on the Instagrams and the Twitters at GeeksplainPod. That's at GeeksplainPod. Uh, pretty much, if you want to just keep up to date with us, keep up to date with the podcast, I put polls up there. I talk about uh, some of the latest news in the comic space. And I also just like talking to you guys. So uh, feel free to do that. And of course, if you want to write in and be part of our Geeksplained mailbag, you can send emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Like our good friend Aaron Arancha who wrote in this week big thank you to Aaron for writing in he is responding to our Batman Beyond episode from last week which I knew I knew he was he was gonna be into I'm, I'm very very I'm always excited to hear from Aaron so uh he writes in hey man Aaron here again and just wanted to say thanks for the shout out during this week's episode and here's another shout out for this one really made my day and put a smile on my face for the rest of the day I'm definitely a Batman Beyond fanboy and hearing your list really brought back good memories and things that I had forgotten I loved about the show interestingly enough Spider-Man is actually my favorite superhero that absolutely makes sense but I guess that also explains my infatuation with Batman so <laughs> uh, anyhow with all that being said I do not have a proper list of favorite episodes but more a list of favorite moments Flash I mean Nash asking Terry that is intentional sir uh, asking Terry if he thinks he's afraid of him and Terry responding with an I don't know are you I just thought that was so cool and an obvious contrast as to how that interaction would have gone with a Peter Parker instead of a Terry absolutely I love the uh, even though they are very similar characters on paper Terry and Peter um with Batman Beyond being a very uh, Bat-centric homage to Peter Parker and Spider-Man, um, the differences in the characters really 
what makes Terry shine. Uh, two, Melanie, obviously best girl over Dana, agreed. Though he says was never fond of Dana anyhow, I do enjoy Dana. Uh, all of her episodes were great if we ignore the fact that Terry basically cheated on Dana at one point getting off the phone with Dana only to make out with Mel- Melanie seconds after. Still though, the guy's got game. <laughs> yes, there is. that is something I did leave out of last week's episode. Um, in, I believe it was uh, the second episode, um, King's Ransom. No. That's not the episode. Anyway, um, in the second episode that uh, Melanie features in, uh, you know, her and, uh, I was going to say Peter, no, uh, her and Terry are seeing each other again for the first time since uh, the the ending of the first episode, and Terry was, like, supposed to go out with Dana or go, like, have a study session, and he gets off the phone. He's like, yeah, maybe not tonight, and he gets off the phone and then starts making out with Melanie, so there are definite problems there, Um, but I digress, and he says, number three, the April Moon episode, very good episode, uh, where Terry wins the fight by figuring out the passcode to the robot parts and the thugs. I didn't figure it out, and the fact that Terry figured it out at the 11th hour was great. Agreed. And finally, uh, rejuvenated Bruce doing weights and throwing them away because it feels like cheating. That is something I absolutely loved about the uh, Out of the Past episode where uh, Bruce takes a dip in the Lazarus pit that he thinks it's cheating and he doesn't like it. Really, really dig that. But to finish off his email, he says, those are some of the moments that I can think of off the top of my head. But yeah, man, thanks again. Really enjoy the podcast. I listen to it while driving and at the gym and it's probably the only reason I can pull myself out of bed to exercise (laughs) because I know I can learn a thing or two about comedy while pointlessly shifting weight up and down much like bruce himself uh take care man and as always can't wait till next week's episode thank you so much again to aaron for writing in i really appreciate it uh like i said if you want to be part of our geeksplain mailbag just send an email to geeksplained at gmail.com with mailbag and subject header if you want to get my opinion on something you want to talk about uh anything that we talked about from this week tell me what your x-men team would be your favorite x-men team um would love to hear that would love to uh go back and forth and talk to you about your favorite x-men team your uh, how you feel the hickman x-men era is going and if you want to get you know my opinion on something you have a question you want to learn more about something um if you want to get a quick pitch just feel free to send those emails i read all of them i really do truly appreciate them and i will read them here as part of our geeksplain mailbag but that is going to do it for this week's episode just another quick reminder uh this sunday keep your eyes and ears out for the first two parts of our snyderverse series where we're going to be covering uh man of steel and batman v superman alongside christopher carter from scripts and screams and andrew kincaid from the artistic liberties podcast uh can't wait cannot wait to share those conversations with you they are fun they are very fun and there is drinking involved so uh tune in for that on sunday and tune in next week for a brand new episode of the geek explain podcast same geek time same geek channel but for now for geek explain this is eric azana thank you very much for listening stay safe and we will see you next time